There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Simone Benson from Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm. And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, everyone. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in bustling New York City. Uh, We'll get back to the fellows in one second, but first, let's take a quick look at the top sports news last week. Uh, And a totally unexpected but welcome move, it looks like Jamel Hill will be joining the Undefeated. It's great news. She's leaving SportsCenter to write for the U and other projects at ESPN. Welcome to the team. Uh, The NBA All-Star Game is just around the corner, and team captains LeBron James and Steph Curry have chosen their teams. (laughs) The Cavs star chose Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, to name a few. Uh, The babyface assassin, Curry uh, selected Joel Embiid and Draymond Green. Uh, the notable snubs uh, included Chris Paul and Paul George. Wow. What do you guys think about that? Uh, and on a more uh, somber note, uh, Larry Nasser, the former USA uh, gymnastics doctor charged with multiple counts of criminal sexual misconduct, was sentenced to 40 to 175 years in prison. Some could argue that's not enough. Uh, more heads around NASA are rolling as well. MSU's president and athletic director have stepped down. And the U.S. Olympic Committee has called for the USA Gymnastics Board to resign. Yikes. And lastly, a WWE founder and chairman, Vince McMahon, said that the XXL will make a comeback in 2020 and will feature eight teams. Uh, McMahon added that the players won't be given a forum to take personal stance while on the playing field and stated that players with a criminal record won't be allowed to participate in the league. (laughs) Good luck with that. Tell us how you really feel about black folks, McMahon. (laughs) Now, if if you've been following The Undefeated or like ESPN's magazine, you may know that the two organizations teamed up for this month's issue, which is all about the state of the black athlete. The stories which come from powerhouses like Wizards point guard John Wall, Patriots tight end Martellus Bennett, and undefeated executive editor Kevin Merida discuss the people who influenced them and how they're working to change police and join movements for freedom and justice. Um, I, I know that we spoke about this before. I'd like to uh, ask, ask you guys uh, and, and, and young lady, uh, which stories and athletes uh, stuck out to, to you guys? Uh, what, what did you like about the addition? Uh, well, it was, that's a real tough question. I'm going to be honest. I like uh, KD's the most because he talked about the dual nature of having tunnel vision in terms of trying to get himself out of uh, his situation. Um, 
Yeah, he's talked about it being a gift and a curse, you know, the curse being, you know, ignoring your surroundings because he didn't, you know, have the voice or the or the uh, level to deal with that at the time. But then the gift is, you know, he was able to get to the NBA and it was really great. You know, he mentioned coming back to uh, see Pleasant um, once he won the championship and seeing all the people that, you know, he grew up with, the people that live there now come out and support him. And he just kind of it kind of really pushed him to be better. You know, be better in terms of helping others as well as being better as as, as an athlete. Uh, for me, the story that stood out to me was John Walls. Well, a because it's close to home. You know, you know, with him being in the vicinity of Baltimore and, and him being in D.C. But I also thought the story was the letter was extremely vulnerable. Um, you usually don't see the vulnerable the vulnerable side of athletes that often, and when you do, it's you know, it's not so, it's always like surface level. This got, the story was very deep because he talked about him as um, a young boy and him seeing his father go to prison and this things that I think, uh, a story that I think a lot of African-American young boys can relate to. For me, my favorite story was the Kevin Durant story, just talking about what what his journey was like to get to where he is today. I thought that was a very interesting story. Um, there was also a story out there on Maya Moore that's also very interesting um, that people should go out and take a look at if you're if you're listening to the podcast. But I just want to say, like in totality, you know, it's just great to have this series out with the state of the black athlete because I don't think many people really understand or really realize. Um, what exactly this journey is and what exactly it takes to become this great as a black athlete in today's day and age. Not many people understand the different complexities and different tri- different trials and tribulations that they have to deal with on a daily basis. I think a lot of people just think it's all glory and it's all shine once you get to this level, and it's not. So to be able to have a platform to where they can come out and they can tell their stories and they can tell um, the issues they can tell, the difference, the things that they're dealing with at the same time, be a light to other people and be an inspiration to other people, I think is very, very good and very, very um, well done by Kevin Merida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You talked about Merida's piece. Uh, Kevin wrote about not just focusing on the uh, the athletic uh, ability of athletes, but what's sort of emerging is the whole complete intellectual development of, of, of black athletes, um, you know, being sort of a renaissance men and women. And, you know, that, that kind of gets back. Uh, I wanted to ask each of you, um, you know, you're, you're all you know, still in, uh, in college, although uh, two of you are getting ready to graduate. But what about your evolution uh, of, you know, you know, we, we all start playing on the, on the, on the street or in the playground. And I'm wondering for each of you, what's, how did you sort of get into sports and when did the light go off in terms of it being just larger than just, you know, playing, playing sandlight ball or larger than making the team that it was connected to gender and racism and things like that? Uh, well, for me, I've been around sports my entire life. Um, from the time I was born, my dad used to work for the Detroit Lions. I went to my first football game at like three months and the running joke is, um, in my family, I was completely silent. And so that's when they knew, like, you know, I was going to be involved in sports in some capacity. But, um, yeah, just from then growing up, uh, I've always, like I said, I've always been around sports. I started playing organized sports, I think, at three years old. I was playing soccer. I was playing football at 12, um, basketball at, like, 10. So I've really grown up around sports. And it didn't really click um, to me that, you know, sports is kind of a reflection of society in terms of, like, the racism and then the lack of gender equality until 
until my freshman year of college when I was forced to sit down and write about, you know, what I wanted to do. And of course, I wanted to be a sports journalist, but like, how did I want to impact, you know, sports journalism? How did I want to change it? And then upon doing research, I realized that, you know, that there's that specifically black athletes, they talk about us differently. You know, they, um, they may talk about a white athlete and, you know, praise him for his uh, intellectual ability. But for us, you know, it's our God-given natural talent. And then, you know, building upon that knowledge, reading uh, your book, Mr. Roden, uh, $40 Million Slave, that was, you know, that even, you know, reinforced the idea. So, uh, yeah. Uh, well, for me, I started playing organized basketball when I was five years old, and I really fell in love with the sport of basketball, and I just really, you know, took a liking to it. I also played football in middle school for a, cu- a couple of years. And it's funny because when I was in middle school, you really start to see a change in what sports can do for yourself personally and what it, the impact that it has on society. Mm. Uh, I mean, growing up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I was a huge Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Mm. And you just see that there's a difference of the way people treat you if you're successful on the field or on the court. Mm. It's this mm. different feeling that you have of people around you that treat you a little bit differently because you are successful on the field or on the court. And especially as growing up as a black man, mm. I feel like, this was I feel like this precedent was set um pretty early in middle school because honestly, if I did not play sports or if I did not uh if I were not successful at sports, not many people would have treated me the same way that they did uh, when I was growing up throughout the educational system down in Tuscaloosa. They probably would have just seen me as just another regular um black boy, even though I was intelligent, even though I was smart. It was just it just added something else. It added something different to it, and it just it was a paradigm for society because people sometimes have favorable treatment for those who produce on that certain type of level. What, what about you, Simone? Um, I mean, before you talk about your athletic evolution, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, Donna was talking about uh, particular young black kids. You, may, you know, that's how you separate yourself. Sometimes it could be getting your white peers at school to actually give you some respect or pay attention is that do you think that's a good thing i mean it's just how you know society and things are set up but i mean i'm not like physically that athletic so (laughs) for me i grew up like just like watching sports and like being sports is all around so it's just knowing just knowing about sports in that way i've dabbled in a couple sports but i've just never been that super athletic person I also feel like sports has, has been um, a catalyst for a lot of African-American uh, male and females to maybe get out. That was a way for them to be able to uh, branch out and get out of certain situations of living in um, areas that maybe didn't have so many opportunities, gave them a chance to branch out of the areas that they live in and also to be able to um, use that as a catapult to in other to get into other ventures as well. Um, so a lot of athletes you see get endorsements. A lot of athletes you see you hear see them using their voice and um, talk about social issues and stuff and stuff like that as well. So I feel like that sports, from my perspective, has definitely been a catalyst for, especially in the African American community, for people to just advance in life in general. Simone brings up a, a really good point in terms of it's something that both uh, Kevin Meredith and Maya Moore talked about uh, more so uh, indirectly about visibility and how athletics, you know, is the key to visibility, to being visible, being seen. 
Uh, it's something that, you know, relates back to the souls of black folks by uh, Du Bois, where he talked about the veil in terms of, you know, we, a lot of times, uh, especially in America, uh, white people can't necessarily see our struggles. Um, we can see it as uh, minorities. We can see both inside the veil, you know, our struggles as well as outside uh, being, you know, the oppression, but they can't see it. In, in athletics, it's a way to, you know, get that, gain that uh, level of visibility where you can kind of, see uh the struggles of african americans and you know people of color and that's why i feel like it's really important for uh black athletes to you know once they get to that level to use their visibility to shed light on these issues let me, let me ask each of you this um so before we uh, wrap it up uh, again the, the larger question when we talk about the state of the black athlete in your taking your your interest in sports from you know the beginning, you know, Isaiah and Donovan, when you start playing until now, 2018, and you look at the totality of the industry on the field, off the field, are, is this, is, are we in a better place, black athletes in the industry? How close do you think that the black athlete is in sort of controlling the industry, dominating the industry? Are, are we in a better place, do you think? Uh, what, Simone, what do you think? I think we're in a better place depending on the sport you're talking about because I think that you see basketball players standing up for what they about you know racial issues and stuff going on and they don't get as much flack as as we've seen with football so it has to be determined by the sport but I do think as a if we were talking about as a whole I think that it's definitely a lot better now because you're able to make more money doing other things besides just sports as well you know like i said we were talking about when i started talking about endorsements and stuff so i think that it's still opportunity to still grow and and you know just advance but when we talk about social issues not everybody's getting treated the same Mm -hmm. right i'd like to piggyback off what simone said um if you look at different leagues especially look at the nba versus the nfl the liberty that these players in the NBA have to be able to voice to be able to voice themselves and voice their opinions on these type of delicate issues is something that's you know unprecedented throughout the rest of the leagues. I mean, the MLB doesn't have that, the NFL doesn't have that, and you rarely see anything from any other league except the WNBA that allows players to be as you know as honest with the media and not as honest with their fans about what they feel should be happening out there in society and in the world, especially for the black athlete. We are better than in the past, but I still think it has a long way to go, especially with leagues such as the NFL and MLB. They need to probably come up to the standards of the NBA and allow players to have a voice and be able to voice what they feel needs to be changed and needs to be amended without having serious repercussions like i.e. Kaepernick so if you look back to uh 2014 when uh Mr. Roden when you interviewed Walter Beach um who was a social activist who was at the Cleveland Summit in 67 um he said then 2014 that you know that there really isn't a level a high level of activism in athletes so if you fast forward four years uh two years later you have uh LeBron, Mello, Wade and CP3 uh standing up for uh talking about police brutality at the 2016 ESPYs. Fast forward a year later, then you have Kaepernick. I feel like we are at a, be a better place now than we were four years ago. But like Donovan said, we still have a long way to go. The very fact that Kaepernick was ostracized from the NFL because he took a stand shows just how far we have to go. But then uh, what I love, though, this year is, the, is a lot of the players who 
took notice of that and decided to take a stand. But it's no in the NFL. There's no way that you can compare it to the NBA in terms of a level of social consciousness and social activism because I feel like in the NBA it's they're far advanced. And so there is, you know, ways to go, but I feel like we are in a better place than we were, you know, four years ago, two years ago. We can leave it there. You know, one thing to note is that um, with the firing of Jason Kidd, I think the NBA is probably at one of the lowest levels of uh, black coaches maybe in the last five to ten years. And, um, you know, you haven't heard a lot of players speak out about that condition. And the question is, I mean, we could talk about speaking out, but to me, you always have to take care of your industry and talk about deficiencies in your industry. So maybe that's <laughs> that's something that LeBron and Steph Curry and and the players should should um could, you know bring call some attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, well, the Super Bowl's coming up. We didn't really have a, a lot of time to talk about. It. Really quickly, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Simone? I'm with the Eagles. I like the underdog. Donovan? Give me the Eagles cuz I hate the Patriots. <laughs> There's a long line there. And you know, I I don't even know why but okay, Isaiah Hey, I'm very surprised that y'all haven't learned not to bet against Tom Brady. So I'm saying it's the Patriots. Aren't the Eagles your team? I know. The Eagles are my team, but I've learned not to bet against Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban. Are you really picking? <laughs> don't even do it, Isaac. Don't even do it, Donovan. Leave it alone. Hey, listen, smart man, smart man, don't don't bet against TB. Anyway, listen, uh, we got, we'll, we'll, we're going to pick this up next, <laughs> next week, but, uh, it's good to know that Isaiah did learn something down Morehouse. Don't vet against Tom Brady. Hey, listen, oh, we're gonna, <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Hey, hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to leave the, uh, uh, the conversation right there, but we'll talk about it a little bit, uh, next week. Hey, uh, Simone, Donovan, Isaiah, you're great. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with Basketball Wives star Evelyn Lozada about the upcoming season of the reality show and a lot of the other projects she's getting into this year. Uh, stay tuned. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm on the phone with three different co-hosts. Kyla Wright from Hampton University. Hi. <laughs> Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Louisiana. Hey, everyone. And, of course, Simone Benson from uh, Morgan State University in Baltimore. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> hey, we're going to switch gears slightly from the state of the black athlete and of the Super Bowl, to this upcoming season of Basketball Wives, the reality TV show that follows the lives of several (laughs) wives and girlfriends of professional athletes in the NBA and elsewhere. Uh, Really pleased and quite honored to um, bring in Evelyn Lozada. Evelyn is one of the stars of the show. Some people say she is the star of the show. Uh, She's joining us uh, by phone today from the West Coast. Uh, And in addition to being an actress and a model, Evelyn runs the Evelyn Lozada Foundation, which supports domestic violence survivors. She's also a fitness enthusiast, uh, a native of the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn, and the mother of two beautiful <laughs> two beautiful children. Uh, welcome to the show, Evelyn. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. You know, um, off off air, uh, I, I'd asked you about um, Puerto Rico and do you have family there? And you told just a really great story of uh, of 
you know, one of the great things that happened uh, to you is finding your grandfather after the, uh, yes. the horror. How, in fact, in all that chaos, how did you find your grandfather? Now, this is your grandfather on your, your mother's side or your, your father's side? This is uh, my grandfather on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say I missed my calling. I should have been an FBI agent <laughs> instead of a reality star. But um, my mother, you know, on her birth certificate, there was no information, no father's name, no information. So it was always a mystery, right, in our family as to who this man is and how are we going to find him. And um, make a long story short, we we had a name from my grandmother, and throughout the years we would search, and we would, you know, then we would get frustrated because we would hit dead ends. And mm. so we decided to do uh, Ancestry, and um, my mother then did Ancestry because I did it, my sister did it, but my mom's really the key, right, because she's right, the one with right. the DNA that we need. Mm-hmm. So my mom did Ancestry. We ended up getting a few hits from some potential cousins of hers. Then my sister got on Facebook and then, you know, I got on the computer and we just started searching for people and we started connecting the dots. And um, we found family of his in Puerto Rico that was more than willing to give us whatever information they had. I hired a a private investigator to Mm. also help us locate him because although we were, we connected to family of his, they, did not know exactly where he was at either. So Mm. I'm like, oh, my God. So at this point, we knew his official name. We knew his father's name, uh, my great-grandfather, and he found him in three Mm. days, literally. Did he want to be found? um, Although it was a long... I'm sorry. I'm sorry? Did he want to be found? (laughs) He did. Well, the interesting part about this is so we sent someone, um, a, a family member, to the restaurant where they told us that he was working at, and he got emotional right away. Because, you know, we didn't know. I'm like, well, how about if he's, like, you know, um, not open to the idea? You don't know how, obviously, somebody's going to respond. If he knew about my mom, if he didn't, if the stories were true, we didn't know what to think. So he started crying right away. Mm. And crazy part is is that he thought that my mom was a boy the whole time. (laughs) He thought he had a son. So now he's finding out that he has a daughter. So, you know, this was right before Thanksgiving. He was so happy to know that we were looking for him because, you know, when him and my grandmother got together in the 50s, he couldn't remember. He was 15 years old. Mm. My grandmother was a little older and he couldn't remember this woman's name. So mm. where, like, how was he going to find you know, my grandmother, he um, heard, you know, through the neighborhood that she had a baby and that, you know, um, it, it was potentially his. So, yeah. So then he was open to coming to Arizona. My mother came to Arizona for Thanksgiving. She had no idea I had him hiding in the house. Mm. <laughs> and she walks in and then we surprise her with him. The video is on Instagram. Um, it, it ended yeah. up everywhere because it was such an amazing moment. And he carried all these years a picture in his wallet mm. of this baby because my grandmother, when she had got pregnant, I guess, went over to um, his house when he was in um, high school, dropped off a picture. And my mom does look like a boy. So that's why they <laughs> thought that it was a boy. And he carried with, he carried around with a picture all these years. And um, yeah, and he's now sitting in my living room. Oh, hey, Dad, what's his name? His name is uh, Robert. 
Oh. Roberto. Oh, Roberto, ¿cómo está? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's, 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 that's yes, great. Sounds like a reality moment. Well, you know, you should, re, you, you should recreate this, uh, Evelyn. You know. Oh, my God. I mean, that moment, these are the things that I want to film. I was so bummed that we weren't filming, but at the same time, I'm like, we are not waiting for this moment. This is it. And, you know, it, it just... It's such a big piece of my life mm. that, you know, now I know where I come from. Now I know. I mean, you, we watch, he watches CNN all day just like I do. Mm. I mean, it's the craziest thing for me to watch him because I'm like, wow, we're really related. Like, this is my grandpa. Wow. So um, it's cool. And he's so, he's such a cool guy. Like, I love him. <laughs> Hey, Evelyn, this is Mania. I just kind of want to switch gears a little bit. So we all know that the upcoming season of Basketball Wives starts this spring. What can you tell us about the upcoming season, and how did you even get involved in the show in the first place? So Shawnee called me. We um, we were really, really good friends at the time because both of our exes played in Miami. I had just opened up the shoe store in Miami, and um, she told me that she was, you know, pitching a reality show. And I was the first person that she called for the show. And I remember thinking to myself, well, first of all, I'm not even with my with the guy that I was with, you know. So how is this going to yeah. work? She was like, no, you've been, you know, you've lived a life for so long. We're really good friends. I think it'll be good. And then I had just opened up a high-end shoe store. So I thought, like, okay, this could be great for business. And I said yes. And I will say that the show took off faster than my shoe store. <laughs> yeah, this is um this is Simone. So I was a big I I watched of course I watched Basketball Wife and I loved your show on own Living Lozada as well because I feel like that was like extremely personal. Get kind of get to see you one on one with your family and your daughter, your son. Leo's the cutest thing ever. Um, so what is the difference between shooting Basketball Wives and when you were shooting your own reality show? Like, what was the start of difference between shooting the both of those? Oh, my God. Two totally different things. You know, um, having my show on OWN for a few seasons was such a blessing, just meeting Oprah and that whole experience. I remember sitting at dinner with Oprah thinking, like, is this really happening to me? <laughs> you know, it was obviously two totally different dynamic of shows, right? I mean, a family show, you know, it's it's less stressful, less drama, but, you know, it, it was a lot of work because it was, you know, based around my life and my life only. So I was filming a lot, a lot, a lot, because it's not like we're chiming in, you know, five, six, seven people. So I loved it. I loved, you know, I, and hopefully, again, you know, God will bless me with my own show again. And obviously, you know, Basketball Wives is totally different. You know, you never know what you're walking into, and there's, you know, conversations and this and that going on. So, I, you know, I'm always guarded. You know, versus right. like my own show, I was never guarded because I knew everything that was going on. So, you know, it's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> when you came back to Basketball Wives, what was the difference? You know, was there something like different filming again with Basketball Wives than when you just left having your own show? It was difficult because I was so far removed from all of that drama, right? But at the same mm -hmm. time, that's why I, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to come back was to just show people that, what my life look like now that you can change. Cause I mean, years ago on basketball wives, I mean, I was, I was a little upset. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I wanted to just, I wanted to come back different and I wanted to just to, to film more positive things. And I get it that we're on a show with a bunch of women, but I wanted to, yes, I wanted to, 
you know, bring a little substance to the show and, 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 and depth so we can, you know, not feel like you're burning a brain cell when you're watching the show. So that's why I'm so open with everything that's going on in my life because this is real deal. That's why I was open about my miscarriages. So, um, yeah. Hey, Evelyn, this is Kyla. So um, as you were talking about, you know, being open about your life and, like, you know, different things that you've been through, so I know that you have the Evelyn Lozada Foundation that supports domestic violence survivors. So I was wondering what advice do you have for women going through domestic violence and how did you personally get through it? You know, I think when you are in a situation like that, you feel very, very alone. And, you know, at the time, you feel like you're by yourself. You know, I have family. I have a sister that I'm really, really close to, but you're, you're, you, you feel humiliated. You feel embarrassed. You, you know, I, I thought in my mind, you know, wow, maybe, my, you know, my family is going to judge me if I'm open. But, you know, I think one of the main things that I can tell, you know, somebody that's going through domestic violence is to find somebody that you trust that you can talk to. 99.9% of the, they're not going to judge you by what you're going through. And I was afraid, you know, I was, I, I didn't know what, what to think. And it, and it was, it was a tough time for me. You know, I mean, I stutter just talking about it now because it takes me to that place, but you know, you feel really, really lonely. And, you know, I think in hindsight now, if I would have just felt comfortable and, and, and talked to somebody that I knew that I could trust, it, it would have definitely helped me at the time. You know, sometimes you just need that ear. Sometimes you just need some advice. I mean, sometimes you just need a place to stay. I mean... Uh, you know, we've had this explosion now of women coming out. I mean, some of the mightiest men in the industry have fallen. Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose. I mean, one after the other. Do you think that's going to have a positive impact in terms of, you know, women uh, feeling more empowered uh, to to uh, to speak? Or is it so sort of like a class thing? Well, if you're a sort of upper middle class is OK. But do you think it's going to have an impact on on women at all sort of levels to feel empowered to stop this? I hope so. I really, and I think that that's what's happening. That's why there's so many stories coming out because, and I'm not saying, I mean, obviously, you know, you never, you can't believe everything, but, you know, women do feel empowered and I feel like, you know, you should speak up and and I'm glad that this is happening. I'm glad that women are speaking up. I'm glad that women are sticking together and not taking it. You know, a lot of the times if somebody is, on a certain level or, you know, has power, I'm sure you feel intimidated. Thank God I've never been in that position. You know, maybe I just give off that energy that maybe I'm not the one to try that with. But, you know, I feel like you, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm really happy that women feel strong enough to be able to talk about it because mm-hmm. you have to. I, no woman should be treated that way. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you have on. I don't care you know, what you've done in the past, you know, you should always be respected. And that's just how I feel. So I'm happy that women are coming together and speaking up. How difficult is it to date in the public eye? Like as a college student, you know, of course, I have no idea what that would be like. But like, how difficult is that really? Like, you know, I, I have learned from my previous relationships not with my son's father, but the, you know, the yeah. ex before that, 
that, you know, all of our business was out there. We posted everything on social media, you know, uh, and I've learned so much from that. And it's okay to keep things private. I try, even with my son's dad, people were like, are you in a relationship? Because I kept it so private, you know, um, this is my family. This is, these are people that I love and I care about. And everybody doesn't need to know your business, even though sometimes, you know, you can't help it, but you can control what you post and put out there. Obviously, there's always going to be rumors and this and that, that you things that you can't control, but I try my best to be as private as I can when it comes to my personal life. What advice would you give to young women who are seeking to date professional athletes or who, you know, want to be in that spotlight? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always glamorous. It is not always glamorous. It's not. You know, I think especially for young women, you're in, you're looking at oh, the the material things or how someone's living, right. but you know that a lot of that comes at a price, and it's it's not always worth it. It's not always worth it. So um, just find a good guy, you know. And, and even to me, when I met when I met my uh, my son's father, I met him through a life coach. Like I was like, no, nope, I'm not dating anymore. But you know, this came into my life, and I am happy that it worked out the way it did because we had our son and although we are now separated we have a great relationship and we have an amazing son and I'm glad that I didn't judge him based off of all this other stuff that I've been through and you know it's just what it is. <laughs> is, is it a coincidence I mean and, and I'm asking this I've been you know sports writer I was almost 40 years so I'm in the locker rooms and all that and I'm like see these guys from a whole different you know, you know, thing. In fact, in yeah. fact, uh, you know, I've got a daughter who's like 27 and she was deciding what school to go to. And she, she had the choice of either going to like a, a woman's school in Massachusetts or going to like Duke. And I remember being at the, uh, like at a regional tournament and Duke was playing somebody. And for some reason I was staring across and I saw all these guys, you know, coming out the huddle and all that. And I picked up the phone. I called my daughter and said, you know what? You are not going to a school with a big time basketball program. You know, cause I just saw the look on their faces, the entitlement. And I guess my question, is it just a coincidence or is there a particular thing that you like about professional athletes? No, I think for me, it's just what has, how my life worked. I was never that person. I was never that. You know, you have the girls that will hang out at the locker, or, you know, outside of the arena where, you know, wherever, you know, go stay at the same hotel. I was never that person. You know, my um, ex I met through a life coach. You know, the ex before that I met through Twitter because we both had a show. And it's just how the universe worked things out for me. You know, trust me, I want to date something else. <laughs> you know, I'm open. I'm open to, you know, uh, date um, a man that does something else. It's just really how it happens, you know. I, it's, I can't really explain it, you know. It's just how my life works out. Can you tell us anything about the upcoming season of Basketball Live? You know what? Not really because we haven't started filming yet. I literally just got here yesterday. We start filming next week. And... Who's to say? You know, we never know which way things are going to go and what's going to happen. I'm always looking. You know, my grandfather will be on the show and that story, um, which I'm so happy to be able to share with the world. But as far as anything else, you know, I guess just stay tuned. <laughs> uh, can we still get those T-shirts? 
Are you still making the T-shirts? Oh you know what? <laughs> I, may, I may have a whole. I may have. You know, I may have a whole set of new T-shirts. You just never, <laughs> never know. There might be a new phrase this season. <laughs> That's right. And I, you know what? Because I was a little more filtered last season because I was in a relationship. But things have changed. And um, <laughs> and I'm just going to say, you know, I'm not going to be crazy, Evelyn, but I'm not going to be quiet either. <laughs> Uh, I, I had just one question. I know that the, the, we got to let you roll, but a, a couple things. Um, so you're going to have a son. I mean, you have a son, great, great young man. What do you tell, let's say he grows up and he's, he's an athlete or, or he grows up and he's just working in a workspace. Clearly with all these things of sexual harassment and all that kind of stuff, the rules have changed. And, and I've asked women, friends of mine, what do you tell your sons now, you know, uh, about the workplace? I mean, just the rules of engagement have changed now about, you know, you yeah, and people. you know what? I think just in general, not even just in the workplace. Like I, my goal is to raise my son to respect women. Always respect women. Never put your hands on a woman. We have little conversations. The other day, he told me he was going to get married, and I'm like, "What? what? You're three? <laughs> you know?" <laughs> so I mean, we have funny conversations, but I have real conversations with him, even though he's three, about to be four years old. I'm, you know, I'm going to make sure, you know, obviously we can't control, you know, what our children do when we're not with them, but well, I know that my goal is to instill everything that I can in him so that he knows that you need to respect women, and when a woman says no, it's no, and if not, you're going to get it from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, my last question so I've been seeing, like, you on Instagram, like, working out and everything. You know, people are posting, like, oh, yeah, Evelyn is body goals. So, like, what was your motivation or is your motivation to work out? Like, what's your, like, daily workout routine? Like, any tidbits you want to give to anyone who wants to get fit really quick? Well, not really quick, but who wants to get fit, you know, with their body? <laughs> you know, I think, for me, my motivation was I'm just trying to be better than I was yesterday. I'm trying to look better than I did yesterday. I'm trying to be healthy. I, I want to be here for my kids, you know, and I think one of the things I have, this is the first time in my life where I have been so focused and I have found such a love. I don't, I can't even believe that I'm saying this for working out. I, mm. I do cycling classes. I never thought that I would I would love doing that. I, I I would do cardio for five minutes and was over it. Right. So, you know, I think that just being super consistent and patient and waiting to see your body change has been so gratifying to me, you know. And I know people are like, girl, you've been thin. You know, it's not like you don't. No, you guys don't see me naked, okay? So, um <laughs> And I feel good. You know, I, I made such a lifestyle change. You know, obviously, you know, I went through a separation. I had a tough 2017. And sometimes certain things in life will put a little fire up under your you-know-what, right? And I said, you know what? I was going through so much, and I channeled, literally, I took that energy and put it into working out. And I'm so happy that I did because I found such a love for it. So, you know, if you look at my kitchen now, you would think this is a home of a bodybuilder because I am now, like, obsessed. You know, I'm into the supplements and the protein shakes and the energy drink and everything, you know, eating clean and 
I think, you know, for anyone that's just trying to start, it's to just be consistent and be patient. Because, you know, people say, you know what, I've been doing this for a month or three weeks and I'm over it. I've been at it for six months and I feel like I still haven't reached my goal. Um, so, yeah, just to be consistent and have patience is really the best advice that I could give. Hey, Evelyn, listen, I know you got to run. This has been really, 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 really great. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, we, you know, you watch the reality shows and you see one role you play, but just in you sharing about the search for your roots and find your grandfather and, and how that has sort of given you a whole new perspective on your roots and where you came from is really, it's great. It was great to hear. I mean, it's a whole nother side of you that I certainly didn't know. Uh, and, and really oh, appreciate you sharing. You. That's really tremendous. Trust me, there's a lot more to Evelyn than basketball was. So that's <laughs> why I was so happy when I had my own show because people could really see who I am, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, I have a good heart and I'm giving and, and, um, I'm all about my family and my children. And, and, um, so yeah, that's really what life is about. You know, basketball wives is, you know, obviously entertainment and that's such a small part of all of our lives. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm happy uh, to be able to do other things outside of that. Hey, Evelyn, I know you got to run, but thanks so much for uh, again coming on. I know the, uh, the fellows enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to you coming to visit when you come to New York city, when it gets warm, uh, you know, come by the studio. But again, thank, thanks so much and wishing you a tremendous, tremendous 2018. I know it's going to be spectacular. Thank you. Same for all of you guys. Yeah. Nice meeting you guys. Uh, before we close out, uh, I want to know what reality, what reality TV shows you are watching, uh, which ones you're not watching <laughs> and why. Kyla, lead off. Okay. Um, I'm watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. I've been watching that since, since it started, since season one. So that's just in my top days. American Medicine, I like that show too. And Wags Atlanta is my favorite because that's the one where they're really like drama free, especially like they're very like classy. Like the first episode, they all went to church together. So that was just like really good. But um, what I'm not watching, I don't watch Love and Hip Hop Miami that I personally feel like that's the worst Love and Hip Hop that there is. It's just extremely outlandish and I don't like it so that's like my least favorite out of the reality show series currently and of course I'll be watching Basketball Wise when it premieres of course what about you Mania? okay so for me I've kind of stayed away from reality TV but one that I'm really loyal to is Are You The One that's on MTV it's like a love um, reality show where they get like matchmakers people um, I do watch Basketball Wise. I used to watch it all the way back to when they had, you know, L.A. and then the regular one. Um, like Kyla said, I also watch Love and Hip Hop. That's like my guilty pleasure. The Atlanta one is the best one. And so far, Miami is really not, you know, cutting it at all. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty much my show. What about you, Simone? I would I would actually disagree. I think Miami is one of the best ones because I think they actually have real artists. Really? <laughs> they have real artists. I think that I think it's a that one. Trina, Trick Daddy, Pretty Ricky. They had that one girl with the Afro. She's a real artist too, who's been in the Latin market for a long time. Forgot her name. Oh, she is the oh, girl. Kyla. 
Yeah, so I mean, they have they have Pleasure P by himself, not even including with Ricky. They have like there's a real artist who actually had music on the charts on there for a long time. I I think there's not as much drama in Miami. I think that's probably maybe the appeal. But um, I like watching it because like I said, I'm a, I, I did like how they got Pretty Ricky back together for a little bit, and then it turned yeah for, yeah for yeah. Well, they had their final tour, and like for me, Pretty Ricky '05, that's my generation. So. I'm looking at it in a different, I think in a different sense, cause 05, I was a, a eighth grade. I was in high school. So I enjoyed more, it's more nostalgia to me. So I also watched Married at First Sight and I don't really watch too much reality TV. I, I mainly just watch a bunch of like interviews on, on, um, on YouTube and stuff. I'm, I'm, watch, I'm watching, yeah. oh, and I'm what about the crown? Is anybody watching the crown and, yeah. and reruns of Mr. Selfridge? No. Um, the crown, I have never, I haven't finished that. I started that, but I never finished it. And there's not enough violence. I'm more of a Netflix girl. I love the Netflix original. Same. Even mm-hmm. though I'm also Netflix, right? Boycott Netflix right now. Why are you boycotting Netflix, Kyla? You didn't hear about um, Monique. So Monique, basically, she wanted, she wants, like, the African-American community, or, well, her whole fan base, because she has more than African-American fans, but she wants everyone to boycott Netflix right now because they offer her a deal for a comedy show to do with them for $500,000. But in comparison to, like, um, Amy Schumer, like, she got over a million dollars for her comedy show. And she was saying, like, that's not fair. Like, you know, this is, you know, kind of racism, you know. And then even, like, um, D.L. Hughley and other comedians came out and said they got paid substantial amounts of money on Netflix with their comedy shows, and Monique didn't. And, like, Jada Pinkett Smith is backing Monique, and Wanda Sykes is backing her as well because Wanda Sykes got offered... No, no, Wanda Sykes did not back her. Wanda Sykes said that she got offered less to Monique, and she went to a different TV station, which she thinks Monique should do. So she's not backing her. She's saying, she's saying like, go, go. If you don't like Netflix, if you don't, if you think Netflix is not offering you enough, then go somewhere else. Like she did. And that's it. I mean, it's kind of like you put there to um, what they were both offered together. And it still wasn't the same amount of Amy Schumer. So they were like coming together to like make that statement about not going to Netflix. And that was like the whole boycott thing that Monique was talking about in her Instagram video. Uh, but yeah, but she, she went on Sway in the morning and discussed that as well. And I, I personally think Monique just needs to go somewhere else or she needs to go have her own comedy tour or, or sit down because at the end of the day, it's kind of like, um, Amy Schumer is very popular in for her crowd. She just went on a world tour. So if you talk about popularity in 2017, not just, with, not just with the African American community, but, but the, with different communities, she she's going to get offered that because she's hot right now and that's what Netflix care about it being hot now when you think about them offering Dave Chappelle and exclusives and stuff like that that's a whole nother conversation because Dave Chappelle can sell out Madison Square Garden right now somebody go watch him you know well listen we're going to end it we're going to end it right there uh what you're watching what you're not watching and who we should boycott. <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, th- a, a thank you to the fellows. We'd like to thank Evelyn Lozada, and we will see everybody, or you'll hear us next week. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as All Day, What Are Those, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated 
your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.